This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tickett. Welcome, everyone. This is part two from the practitioner's viewpoint. And we have physiotherapist Lee Skukkonen here, and we will be discussing how physiotherapists could use physical activity and sedentary behavior tracking in their professional work. So, so Lise, you are practicing physiotherapist. Uh, what is, from your viewpoint, the current status of using activity tracking technology in physiotherapy and, and rehabilitation? I think it's an underused um, method, tracking activity. We do ask people about their physical activity, but it's very subjective. And um, we might have questionnaires, which is also subjective. So people usually tend to report more physical activity than what they actually really do. And uh, some some clients, of course, have watches to track their physical activity and exercises. Some people probably use their phone apps. But as professionals, I think at least here in Finland, we don't really track people's physical activity. So I see um, a huge huge potential really in in doing that in a more professional and evidence-based way. So yeah, I, I don't know about uh, really other parts of the world, but I haven't really heard that many physical therapists would do that, tracking of uh, physical activity of the, of the clients. Yeah, I, I haven't heard either. And in, in part one, we discussed about how how physiotherapy is actually behavior change. And, and if we look at behavior change theories, one important part is that you know where you are in relation what is is your, for example, physical activity level. And you know that what kind of changes you need to do and maybe that you are measuring that you can actually see the progress. So I think there's, there definitely is potential in the in the tracking. But you said that you are asking from the patients, but it's not maybe reliable. How, how should the technology be that you as a professional could use some some technology that it would really support your work and help in the behavior change? Well, first to come back to the previous previous question, it's uh, it's about behavioral change, but it's also about changes, changing changes in your, for example, your pain sensations during the physiotherapy period. So we can also have outcome measures, measurement with activity tracking because you know, if, for example, when you have a chronic problem, then usually when you have pain, you will decrease your physical activity because you have pain. So it might, it can be uncomfortable for you. So we could actually track physical activity to see if the pain uh, has uh, gotten better. So this is one also another way uh, to to kind of uh, use 
uh, trackers. But uh, your other question was that uh, how what would be important for me as an as a professional. So I think that the most important thing is that it should be easy to use. Of course, reliable and evidence based. That's I guess is the baseline, but uh, it should be extremely easy to use. So that um, basically, I would like to see what is the person doing in their everyday life, or like how much are they exercising, or how much daily physical activity, non-exercise physical activity they would have. So to do that in an easy way, and I guess it's very important also that uh, the device I'm using would distinguish between different actions that the person is doing, because then it's more individual and. Uh, giving feedback to this person would mean more to them. Um, for, for example, if you have a, let's say that somebody is doing swimming, you know, they go swimming every every day for an hour. And then if you have a tracker that can track that, then it's not meaningful for that person. So, so uh, it should be quite um, diverse and, uh, and then uh, easy to use. I guess these are the, two most important factors I would think of quickly. Mm. Yeah. And and you said that we could use it as a tool to see that if the pain has gone away. And I think the same could be after after a surgery, that for example, if you have a knee surgery, basically your activity levels go to zero for a few days and then they should start to increase to before the surgery levels. So we could kind of use it as a secondary measure of how well the function is recovering and how well the pain is going away. And if we don't see the normal progress, it indicates that there's probably some problem and we could start to look for that that problem. How do you see how do you see this? Uh, definitely, there's a lot of uh, groups of uh, clients or patients we could use activity tracking for, and um, like like you said, a, sur- a surgery because sometimes um, it happens. It shouldn't happen, but it still happens that somebody who's been uh, active then they have an injury, uh, they get pain, so you get used to the pain and uh, also the decreased physical activity, then you have maybe for example you have surgery and then after that you should go back to the physical activity level that you had but quite often people are quite alone in that phase at least here in Finland Uh, so so it would be really good if we could show them uh, where they are maybe even if we don't have the baseline measurement from them but then we could show them that do they meet the you know the recommendations the recommendations about the daily physical activity so that would also be good because in in the pra- practical real world having this uh, that's when i think it's you know we see the difference of science and the real like practitioner's view is in science you would have a baseline measurement and then you would do an intervention and then you would have the kind of like the the outcome measure, yeah, the follow-up. But uh, in in a clinic, when somebody comes with pain, then we can have a measurement from from this painful period, but we can't go back in time and, uh, you know, get their real baseline. But if we do, let's say we have a physiotherapy intervention and then 
then we can have a measurement. We can see if uh, that person meets um, physical activity recommendations, for example. So this is one way we could we could use the uh, activity trackers. Hmm. And yeah, we don't usually have a baseline, but if yeah. a person, for example, have a broken ACL, but it's still functioning, we could do the measurement before the surgery, and we would have some kind of some kind of baseline, even though it's real, but but at least something that we could we could compare against, or we could have a big reference database which would compare the same persons but I, I think the physical activity recommendations provide a good good reference in that that sense oh, of course for some people not to everybody because there's a lot of people who are much more active than the recommendations but then there is also um, you probably know that better than me that there's a lot of people who don't meet the recommendations so for them that might be or that could be a very good um, goal, at least in the beginning. And 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 how how do you see what would be the best measures? Like we can measure sedentary behavior, we can measure different intensity of activities. What do you think? In some, you can give some example cases. What would be the best indicators that, for example, the rehabilitation is going going well, and maybe the pain is going away? I think if we could, like maybe uh, at some point, if we could see, let's say that there is this knee surgery that we were already talking about, and if we could really see that this person is activating in their daily life the thigh muscles well enough, uh, I think that would be a really good indication if we could see that um, during this process of um, rehabilitation that we could see how certain muscles and the activation of this these muscles is developing that would be very beneficial and it would be really beneficial also because it's, it's motivating for that person uh, the same um, maybe with uh, some of the core muscle activation if we could see for the low back pain patient we would see how this develops would be interesting um, so these i i think that these would be a good uh, additional things we we should measure or i hope this is um, this will be possible in in the near future yeah so you would like to actually see the real muscle activity like from the emg that how how is the activity and yeah, I've done my PhD with uh, EMG Swords, a uh, company from from Finland called Myontech has EMG Swords, which can measure like daily muscle activity pretty easily. The electrodes are integrated, the wires are integrated to Swords, and there's a module where the data is is recorded. I'm not sure if this is like you said that it needs to be really easy to use for from the practitioner's viewpoint. I think it's really easy to use as it's EMG, but I don't know how, how many how many kind of extra minutes you have in your reception that like you need to do the paperwork for the patient, you need to do different kind of things, maybe have a short rest between between patients. How many minutes you think you can have for something like 
extra things in your reception? Well, in the private practice where I work, I I kind of can decide this by myself. And um, so we could have some extra minutes for for that. And uh, I think it would be beneficial for the patient. But of course, it's not like, for example, tracking muscle activity uh, would not benefit everybody. Uh, so, so I think we should uh, really find out who are the patients that this is beneficial for. So, so um, yeah. But for those, for example, I could see um, athletes, then surge, you know, uh, rehab from surgery, where this could be important, but not for everybody, definitely. Yeah, and it would be too time-consuming doing this for every uh, every client and it wouldn't give the benefit for everybody. Yeah, Yeah. actually some eight, ten years ago, we were looking with my colleague quite closely the EMG technology as we had the business idea that we would actually make this kind of product that you can measure really easily EMG in, in daily life or in, the, in clinical practice. And there was many companies at that time who were developing this technology either it was a small small module that you attach on the skin or it would it would be integrated to clothes but it looked really promising but actually many of those companies i think they are bankrupt or they are not at least flying to it's not going too well so i think it kind of i think there was problems that how to really make it practical. EMG is sensitive to movement artifacts. There needs to be electrode paste or the connection is not very good and the data is not maybe reliable. There's always the normalization to maximum. It might be difficult at home to do, for example, maximum quadriceps activation. So I think it was a promising technology and I think it can be in the future, but there's it's a little bit challenging. So we might need to wait before we get that. Yeah, I think um, at the moment we sh- we can really focus on measuring physical activity and the performance and the daily activity, people getting back to what they used to do or raising their levels of uh, physical activity. Uh, and, and maybe we are also, we have been, um, forgetting, but for some people, it might be also that there's too much physical activity. So you know, you can check that also, and uh, also this is important. Yeah, that that that's a good point. And so, from physiotherapist point, actually seeing the muscle activity would be ideal, but it's maybe not easy enough. So I think we need to consider what could be the kind of the secondary measure. So you, for example, said that is the person activating quadriceps enough? So I could think that, for example, sit-to-stand transitions could be a good measure because when you're sitting, you need to lift your body. Of course, you can use the armrests to help, which is challenging to measure. But I think if you have, for example, 65 sit-to-stand transitions, and it's increasing. I think we can think that all right, the person is really activating their quadriceps. This is probably good, good loading for their quadriceps in addition to the rehabilitation exercises. So I think this kind of things we could measure or fast walking or something 
it's not really quadriceps activation. It's more about hamstrings, but but I think these could work. What do you think? Yeah, and we do that already. There's lots of tests, as you mentioned, and there's also, uh, you know, we have the manu- manual devices to, you know, to measure muscle activity. Of course, we can just like move a certain joint and then we have a manual measuring tool that uh, we can use to get the power that muscle is creating. Uh, so, yeah, we do that. So so it's it's not like, mm, I think that this combined to uh, what the person is doing in their daily life, how much they're then using and moving, exercising, doing physical activity. So we get a quite good combination of that already. So, so different uh, functional tests are basically our mm, most used uh, tools for the outcome measure and also in the beginning to see what's the baseline. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think if we would start actually collecting data from, from patients, and I think we would really learn that what are the best, best variables. I remember reading a couple of studies which had like knee osteoarthritis patients. And when they compared the ones that their pain was all right and the ones which had problems was that there was no difference, for example, in the amount of steps. But when they divided that they took like really short bouts of walking, like less than a minute, and then like over 20 minutes, then there was difference. So the ones who had pain and it was bothering them, they avoided taking like short walks because I think starting moving was painful. And then also if it was longer it started to get painful. So they had those. So it was really interesting that if you look the data, just an average of steps, for example, no difference. But when you started to look it more closely, you could actually divide people into groups, which would probably be clinically um, significant and could help in the in the practice. Yes, that's I'm I'm sure that's how it goes. Yeah, pain is changing the way we are moving in the, in the long run. Yeah, yeah. And how how do you see what kind of customers, what kind of patients group would benefit most from the activity tracking? What do you what do you see? You you probably meet quite many people with quite many musculoskeletal problems. So what do you see as the most potential? So where do you start from? There's many. <laughs> so so we'll see. See, I would just name a few groups. Yeah. I think first is arthrosis, uh, yeah. which is it's a non-inflammatory degenerative condition. People probably know it as uh, a worn out or stiff knee or joint. Yeah. So um, uh, this is a good condition, which usually it starts. You start getting pain. And, you know, as you start getting pain, then you kind of reduce your physical activity. But uh, in clinical practice, what we see, uh, well, then you reduce your uh, physical activity. And as a, a consequence of that, the muscle, you don't have so much power in your muscles or strength. Your strength decreases. And uh, after that, you get more pain, for example, in your in your knee. So this is usually the point when people come to physical therapy. So this is where um, it's it's very, very important that we give out 
correct information. So, for example, doing some uh, biking in the gym gives very good results. So we start because then you need to uh, have this, this knee needs to get some movement so that the pain would uh, decrease. And after that, we can do uh, some strength work for, for the thigh muscles. And, uh, and then I have many, many cases where people who've had, they maybe can walk only a kilometer per day because of pain. They might have only 40 years of age. Quite often there's some uh, overweight also, not always, but, but often. And then after working out for three or four weeks, these people are quite pain-free. So, uh, so for example, that's a good, that would be a good uh, group of patients that we could actually check uh, their activity levels and see how it changes through the process. So another one, we already talked about the surgeries, prehab, rehab of surgeries. I also think that um, we go out of the physiotherapy field, then, for example, Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's causes dementia and uh, problems with recent memory. So there's some research uh, suggesting that having Alzheimer's patients increasing their physical daily physical activity actually it will make their life better and uh, i'm not sure if the memory really gets better but at least uh, their performance of daily activities gets better um, low back pain also chronic pain patients many many groups of patients who would benefit from activity tracking for most sedentary behaviour and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data. Introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting edge next generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw three-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is S-E-N-S dot Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. So if we consider, for example, low back pain, it's it's probably the most common problem. So you, you get them a lot. How do you see the importance of of physical activity for them, maybe avoiding sedentary behavior, maybe long sedentary behavior bouts. How, how, how do you see the importance of, of this in the getting rid of 
low back pain? Low back pain, there's different reasons for low back pain, but we, we take the biggest part of low back pain, which is usually we might even not get to the um, to the reason of this low back pain. And uh, quite often people who get low back pain have too much um, sedentary time, sitting time during the day. So, uh, for example, for them, adding some physical activity would benefit. And the reason for that is that when we sit down, as we do now, then in the beginning we can keep up the good posture. And then after a while, our low back gets curved like this. Yeah. So this will add a lot of pressure to the discs of, uh, of, the, of the low back pain and the lumbar yeah. uh, segment of, of our spine. So just by standing up, our posture gets to kind of normalizes. Yeah. So we yeah. get uh, another post, another position of our, of our spine and that relieves the symptoms quite often. So just like breaking up sitting enough and maybe even walking during these breaks would benefit many people who have low back pain. Not all, but quite many. Yeah. yeah. And from the walking, you get kind of pumping motion that actually yes. helps with the, with the liquid yeah. flow. So your, yeah. Yeah. Your, your metabolism of, of the spine um, is better when you're walking. So, so, and, and another thing is also that quite often when you get low back pain, then um, I think still many people think that they shouldn't move, but it's usually the contrary. So, so also kind of like breaking this idea of staying, staying put when having low back pain. That would be good to break. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a practitioner, I can hear that you could see a lot of potential with many patient groups, osteoarthritis, low back pain, prehab, rehab from, from surgery. So there's potential, but it's not very widely used. What do you see as the, the problems and obstacles that we would need to overcome that we could actually get technology to help in the rehabilitation? process i don't really know i think the the obstacle is it that physical therapists maybe are also not uh, they don't know about the devices we have already that we could use then probably it's also changing the behavior of physical therapists that they would take these uh, tools into use Sometimes it's maybe also that with some um, with some of the tools it's it's too difficult. You have to download apps and you have to you know sign into <laughs> if it if it demands too much from the patient or client, then it's difficult because you know as you know yourself, there's so many things on the computer or on your phone that you have to do, so you might not want to add another one. So it's I think the biggest obstacle is really is maybe the knowledge of physical therapists and and then if the devices are too difficult to use. Um, yeah, I don't think there's I can't really see other obstacles. I think we should definitely start tracking activity much more. Yes, yes, and I think sometimes we might think that physiotherapy is not very 
open for technology, but I think that's that's not true. There's a lot of like electrical stimulation that they use in in the treatment, and many many technologies when they have been just developed easy enough that you can just get the cart and do, for example, the electrical stimulation and and get done with it. So I think it's it's about the technology, like you said. Is it done easy enough to use? That is it really for suitable for the clinical practice from the practitioner point of view and also from the patient's point of view? And then of course the professionals need to need to know it. So I, I think those are are really good points. Yes, I think these are the key elements, uh, really. And I, I'm I'm quite sure that we will see more of of that using the devices and measurement tools uh, in the in the future. I think physi- physical therapy as a field is is going into the direction that uh, outcome measuring becomes more and more important in in our work. Mm. And and now we have kind of thought about it that it will make the rehabilitation process or the behavior change more successful. How do you see the role of measurement in kind of reporting, whether it's for the insurance company or for the governments that how people are rehabilitating from certain things like in a bigger picture? How how do you see it as a reporting tool? I I, I see it in both of the of the things you mentioned are very important first is reporting let's say that um, let's say that as in corporate wellness you would buy some services for your employees i'm quite sure that you'd like to know what's the outcome of your services so this is where we could uh, it would be much easier to report for example that uh, the physical activity levels of people after educating people about the benefits of of physical activity that we could actually show and track whether it's working or not. So that's first. But the second thing, which I think is it's really important, is also choosing treatment. Or, For example, at the moment, physical therapy um, in some in some of the problems, for example, rotator cuff tears, let's say 10 or 15 years ago, almost uh, a huge part of these tears were treated with surgery. Nowadays, at least in Finland, the surgery rates have dropped like, I might be uh, mistaken, but around 50 or 60%, which is a huge drop in surgery rates because we have found out that physical therapy is as it works as well as surgery, of course, in not all cases, but with the minor tears. So in a larger scale, we could also measure different, uh, you know, we could compare different physical therapy treatment options. And then we could maybe compare physical therapy with um, some medications. Could we, in, in some fields, it's already, you know, it's already done, and uh, there's a lot of research going on in this field. But uh, but yes, as a I think in the in the end, it would benefit the patient and the client, but also the health system, and and we could choose most beneficial treatment plans for people. Yeah, that that's a really good point. That if we would actually have 
same kind of data that can be harmonized, it's measured in the same way, then we would get big enough data set that we could actually compare the decisions that you decided to rehabilitate in a certain way compared to A to B, and we could see that which one is probably more effective if people are having better activity levels sooner. It it probably indicates that it's it's better. So I think that's a that's a really interesting point. Yeah, and in the um, yeah, it could be. I think measuring activity levels could one of the things that we measure amongst others. But it's very important. It's a it's an important factor that we we could measure. And then when we draw the lines in a, in a bigger health system of what how do we treat certain uh, certain problems or so. I think we could make better decisions. Yeah, I agree. So if if you think about future and what what do you see, what would be an ideal tracking device for physiotherapy? If you think of dream device, how would it work? How would it fit your your work day and what kind of metrics it would give? Give us your dream device and let's hear how it how it is. I would like to see that uh, first the device has a good, um, you know, it's easy. I could just give it to the patient so that the patient wouldn't have to sign up to any, <laughs> any. they wouldn't have to put their personal information anywhere, maybe only because I already have their name and, for example, their birth date, their age, so on, so that I could use the same information. I wouldn't have to have the person to sign up to a web page or app to do that again. So that's, I think, first, there's also, it's important. Uh, the second thing is that the battery of the of the device would last for long, that maybe that, well, ideally, the person wouldn't need to charge it at home so that it would last until the next time I see the see the patient, it's the second thing. Of course, it's I would like it to be evidence based and reliable, and uh, so that I would like it to distinguish between different. Um, you know that I would see maybe the whole activity level of steps or minutes or you know whatever metric it is. But then I would like to see uh, what's the proportion of daily activity and then the trainings that the person is doing and also the passive time that they have if I could just have all of these and and also of course that this device would uh, give me a good report that I could then go through with the with the client and uh, see what kind of changes might be good for them in their daily life yeah so how do you think when you were saying about battery life how how long do you think you need data in each each point so for example if you are right after surgery do you need like one day two days one week of data and then how long do you need to have these data points for example if you have every month one measurement how long would you follow follow up the patient that's a bit it's a difficult question but i would say that at first to get kind of the daily activity maybe a week would be good so that i would see working days some days off 
in the follow-up, I, I think it can be also shorter, maybe two or three days that I see what's going on. Is there any change? So, so I would say that a week in the beginning, but like the, it's also important that when we have this measuring period, people have, you know, people forget and they have different things going on in their lives. So um, I think quite often it might be that the battery life should last at least maybe two weeks so that if, so that if we get the seven days of measurement, there might be that some days for some reason, the person has forgotten the device home or, you know, something happens. So this would be a good, yeah, good to have a long battery life, but yeah, follow-ups could probably be shorter. Yeah. Like, like we were saying that the rehabilitation or physiotherapy needs to fit their life and life situation. So I think also the measurements are that we often forgot that people have so many things in their life and wearing a measurement device or activity tracker or whatever might not be their priority, even though we might hope so. But but yeah, there will be mistakes and so on always. Yeah, somebody you know might get a flu and then they're in the bed for two days or something and then, you know, they are quite unhappy if the if their activity levels are very low because of that, even though they, you know, uh, without this, uh, this flu, it might be even that the activity levels would be quite enough. So, you know, just to avoid that kind of mistakes <laughs> in the data, I would like it to be uh, long enough. Yeah, I, I fully agree. So I have run out of questions at this point. Do you have any, any topics you would like to, bring into discussion still um i think we we have gone through quite a lot uh what comes to activity tracking i really hope that in the future we can use more technology also in in physical therapy and measuring the outcomes of physical therapy and also measuring um or kind of like showing people best practices whatever it is then for their problem so yeah. I think I'm good for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. You said about rotator cuff injuries. I'm I'm waiting for mine because I know that I've been playing over 20 years of baseball in my past life yeah. and I have read that the supraspinatus tear is one of the most common problems especially people getting old with the with a lot of lot of throwing. So I will ask for your advice when when the time is <laughs> oh definitely yes yes i've i've um yeah i've done some research about this also so i've could i can send you information you can you can you can read but it's uh, rotator cuff tears are very well treatable with physical therapy so yeah and i i think also you mentioned prehab and i, I think that's something important that you can start to do prehab for example, you know that there's a big risk of injury if you do certain kind of sports, especially if you start to approach 40 years of age and still doing sports. So I think it's it's interesting. And there's some studies showing that, for example, with eccentric training, you can you can strengthen your body against injuries. So do you have any, any advice for a prehab against injuries, maybe trail running injuries or or something else well 
using we have some reason you said about the eccentric training uh, eccentric training is is good for some reducing pain also isometric training actually is very good for for pain but the main thing really is that that the tendons that you usually tend to get overuse injuries um, our tendons kind of like change but then they don't like change i will explain it to you <laughs> in a second so uh if you increase your trainings in a short amount of time then your tendons or muscles or even bones so the tissues are not ready to take the load that you are putting on them in a short time so always when you know starting to do some sports or maybe going back to what you've done before and maybe there's been a 10 year gap so you need to take into account that your tissue um the ability to take that load is maybe not the same as it was 10 years ago so so that's one you should always add the loading like gradually little by little to kind of like uh, uh perform or or kind of like so that your tissues would have time to get used to but then another thing is that the tendons um really i, I think like is maybe not a good word but it's good for the tendons to to give them different kind of um loading so eccentric isometric then concentric so so all kinds of uh, slow movements sometimes faster movements so so the more you kind of strain your tendons in different ways through your life uh the stronger your tendons will be so yeah maybe that's uh, your my short answer to your question yeah, yeah now that that's good i i went like five days ago to do 10 second heel sprints in a steep uphill and i'm, I'm still feeling it it's still the inflammation there so i i know about changing the loading yeah it's good but you need to be really careful with it yes <laughs> so you you just need to give some time to and now to rest and then you can do it again yeah i i agree so lise thanks for taking the time this has all been very interesting as a last point if people want to know more about you your trail running physio where would where would be the best places to find you digitally uh, digitally at the moment my trail running physio site uh, has um, a finnish name it's called polku yoksu physio maybe we can write it somewhere <laughs> yeah maybe not all people got it <laughs> and of i i work in physios group so also when you just like google my name you'll get to see where to find me and you can always email me or comment some of my writings uh in my blog yeah so we will put in the video description so, link link to lisa's web page yes okay thank you Oli. it was great being here yeah thank you it was great thanks for joining us this week on physical activity researcher podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. 
We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.